Church, if you would, take your Bibles uh, and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Not too hard to find. Go towards the beginning and stop. Uh, and so um, I want to wish everybody a happy Father's Day. Uh, what a glorious day it always is. I think about the many men in this church uh, who are great godly examples of what biblical fathers should be. And as I was considering what to preach about a couple months ago on, on Father's Day, I had that allotted for a special sermon outside the Gospel of John. I kept thinking to myself, okay, what, what is it in your life, Cody, that would, you think would, would make you a, a better father? What can you say to the fathers out there that you think would be an encouragement uh, to them? And it always comes back to one thing for me, and that is uh, being a good husband. Uh, being a good husband and having an understanding of what marriage is, is the best gift I can give to my children. Uh, and so I would like for us to uh, study Genesis 2 this morning. It's my delight and privilege to bring you a sermon that I've entitled, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, you and I know that we live in a culture that is massively swirling with confusion, we're living in a day where not only is God's word unknown, but it is high-handedly rejected in our society. We live in a day of a great ambiguity, a day of many opinions, the day where feelings and ideas of selfishness rule the day. Friend, we, we need to go to God. And we need to go to the clear, sufficient, eternal word of God for guidance, help, and direction in such an important issue as this one of marriage. And so as we talk about marriage today, this is what I want to do. I want to serve you, I want to feed you the platter of God's Word as we survey the Old Testament and New Testament on the meaning of marriage. This is a sermon that's for everybody here today because marriage is foundational to society, it's foundational to the gospel, and I hope that you see that through the Word of God this morning. So if you are single, if you are engaged, if you're an older person, a younger person, you've been married for decades, married for, for days, whatever it is, this sermon here today is for you. So turn to Genesis chapter 2. Let's read the text and we'll pray. If you'd stand for the honor of reading God's Word, we're going to read uh, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verses 18 through 25 here just to gain some context. And then uh, we will pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon our service today. The verse uh, 18 of chapter 2 of the book of Genesis says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, this is, this is the pivotal verse here. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked. And we're not ashamed. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures 
forever. Let's go to Lord in prayer. We come to you, Father. We come to you, Son. We come to you, Holy Spirit. And we praise and worship you, the triune God. We honor you, one true and living God, and three eternal persons. Father, you tell us in your word that marriage is to be held in honor among all. So we do honor the institution of marriage that you have designed and created that you have given to us as a gift. And Lord, we pray as we look into your word in such a needed topic this morning that we might understand your design. We might understand the true meaning for and the true meaning of marriage. Or that we would honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ as we submit ourselves to the clarity of your word. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our great beloved bridegroom and Savior, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This may be easy for me this morning because, as you'll notice, Miss Amy is in the nursery, but no doubt, okay, she's going to listen to this uh, this morning. Um, we've already locked all the doors for you fathers, uh, so you cannot escape this. No, I, I want to start by saying this. Uh, my wife and I are different. Uh, we have different backgrounds. She was raised in Memphis in the suburbs all of her life, two minutes away from the nearest Target. And I was raised here in Callahan, where it wasn't too long ago, you had to drive 40 minutes to get to the movie theater, right? Uh, We have different families. She comes from a family of four siblings, all spaced out between 20 years, from the oldest to the youngest. Uh, I have uh, one sibling with the personality of four. Her mom stayed home, my mom went to work, her father was a traveling salesman, traveling all over the country in many different countries selling FedEx products. My father's a blue-collar electrician. We have different tastes, not only have different backgrounds, we have different tastes. She likes things that make her feel safe. I like adventure. Uh, she likes romantic comedies. I like basically every other genre of movies besides romantic comedies. Uh, she is drop-dead gorgeous, and well, I got... More of a Jack Black thing going on uh, over here, right? So really, on and on I could go about the differences between my wife and I. And I'm sure if we asked you the difference between you and your spouse, you would have a list or so. And it's just such an interesting similarity of men and women who come together to get married, and yet they're very different. Very, very different. So as we look at marriage, we've got to realize that two different people come together to get married. And that should cause us to ask, why would God do this? Why would God desire for two very different personalities, very different backgrounds, very different people to come together? What is the point of this whole marriage thing? Why has God designed a relationship, an institution that we call marriage? After all, you never marry the perfect person. In fact, I think we ought to just throw all these compatibility ideologies and tests that these websites give you out the window altogether because any two people who enter into the marriage covenant are spiritually broken by sin. Which means that we're self-centered, we're self-focused, we're self-preserving, we are self-loving. That means that we are just selfish people as we enter into the marital covenant. And friends, we're in desperate need of God's grace. We need His grace, the grace that changes the heart, that empowers us to live a, a changed life for the glory of Christ. It's true. I am a big sinner. And it is true, equally, 
that I married a big sinner. Though I am a follower of Jesus, I am still a sinner. And though I married a woman who is a follower of Christ, my wife is also a sinner. That means conflict will happen between us. Disagreements will arise. Different opinions will surface. But how do we respond? How do we respond to those teaching moments and these God-given, grace-given opportunities in the marriage covenant that God brings our way? What is marriage all about? What is it that drives a healthy, happy, holy marriage? Well, I'd like to argue by way of introduction, the first statement I'd like for you if you're taking notes to write down today is this, that marriage is all about the glory of God. Marriage is all about the glory of God. See, when each person comes together in the marriage, they are fastened to that rope that binds them together as one, and that rope is, is the glory of God. That's what marriage is, is all about. That's God's design for marriage. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Friends, marriage is about the glory of God. Maybe we could put it this way. Your marriage and my marriage is a massive display of the glory of God. All of creation is the theater upon which the glory of God is displayed. But in a very specific way, your marriage is the stage upon which the glory of God radiates. What an amazing thought to think about, isn't it? That's where I want to direct us today. We ought not to go to our culture for definitions of what the meaning of marriage is, nor to the books that are sold in Barnes and Noble for help on the meaning of marriage. We need to go to God, the author, the creator, the designer, the definer of marriage to see what is the true meaning of marriage. There's a, there's a repeated phrase in our text that occurs a number of times. I don't know if you notice it. It's the phrase, the Lord God. It's the covenant-keeping Jehovah God. And this paragraph, though it teaches about marriage, it, it centrals its point that its true focus, all of it, is about God. The covenant-keeping God that designed and created this institution of marriage. And so today as we talk about marriage, I really want to give us an understanding of what marriage is as we bring it around our hearts and our minds with a couple of headings. And so, once again, if you're taking notes, I want to begin with this very first heading today. That is God's gospel of grace. First heading I want to look at when we talk about what is the meaning of marriage. The meaning of marriage is God's gospel of grace. When we talk about marriage, we have to begin, we have to begin with God's gospel of grace. Once again, maybe you've been married well, a year, maybe you've married 25 years, or maybe you've been married for a number of decades. Why is it that God has given us this institution of marriage that is at some times so painful and sometimes so wonderful? It's because, friends, you're going to hear me say this throughout this message today. It's because marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Now, hear me out just for a moment. You just said that, that marriage is at sometimes painful and sometimes wonderful. How is that a reflection of the gospel? Well, Friends, God's gospel of grace is at the same time amazingly painful and yet amazingly wonderful. What do I mean by that? Well, the gospel is this. You are more sinful, more flawed, 
more depraved in yourself than you ever dared believed. Yet, at the very same time, you are more loved and more accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ than you ever dared hoped. God, by his sovereign love, came to undeserving sinners to set his love upon them, bruised, broken, sinful, and God did this to make his own people holy, to make us sanctified. This is why that through the gospel, we get both the power and the pattern for the journey of marriage. Through the gospel... Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus on behalf of undeserving sinners, it's through the gospel that we, his people, get the power and the pattern for the journey of marriage. Once again, why is that all important? Because this is, marriage is a picture of the gospel. Brother Bert read in Ephesians chapter 5 earlier, beginning in verse 22, remember he talks about, Paul's talking about the, 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 the role with the wives in marriage, being submissive to their husbands, then Beginning in verse 25, Paul deals with the husband's role in marriage. And then in verse 31, Ephesians 5, 31, the apostle Paul begins to quote what we read earlier from, Galatia, uh, from Genesis chapter 2. In Ephesians 5, 31, this is what the apostle Paul says. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That should seem familiar for you. That's Genesis 2, 24. But then look at verse 32. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. What, what do you mean, Paul? He means marriage has been designed by God from day one, way, way, way back when God designed it in Genesis 2, to be a picture of Christ in the church. And that means something for us, friends. That means that you can only understand what marriage really is all about when you understand the gospel. You can only understand what marriage is really about when you understand the gospel. No one can understand the true meaning of marriage if they don't understand the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can understand the true meaning of marriage if they don't understand the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a glorious thought we could consider here. Think about this. The gospel is all about oneness, right? And it begins with, with God. For in the one God, we have the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is this amazing oneness and plurality that takes place. Consider how, how the gospel is about companionship, how it's about relationship. Again, it begins within this triune Godhead. The Father, God, has a glorious companionship with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. The gospel is about equality and, and differing roles. Again, beginning with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, all equal, and yet different in roles and in function. The gospel is about sacrificial love, which we find most gloriously displayed on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ when God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, from heaven down to earth to live a righteous life and to die as a substitute in the place of sinners. The gospel is about permanence, about God preserving us and being faithful to us. Friends, the gospel is about grace. It's about sovereign grace. We are not deserving. We are not those who merit or earn eternal life in any way. 
The gospel is about grace, and that's reflected in marriage. In the book, No Ordinary Marriage, by a man named Tim Savage, here's what he writes. He says, We marry not primarily for our own benefit and pleasure, nor principally for the comfort of mutual own benefit and pleasure, not principally for the comfort of mutual affection, nor ultimately for the joy of bearing and raising children. We marry because in a work of unparalleled glory, the Lord built this union. We marry because of his glory. We marry another person because it puts God's glory on display. So what's the meaning of of marriage? Well, we've got to begin with God's gospel of grace because Ephesians 5 makes the direct tie for us that when we're looking at marriage, we will always have a connection with the gospel. The meaning of marriage is God's gospel of grace. That leads us to the second heading I want to bring to your attention this morning from Genesis chapter 2, and it's this. God's design of marriage. Not just God's gospel of grace, but now second of all, God's design of marriage. Let us first remember that that marriage is all about two sinners coming together in union who are wholly and totally incompatible for a God-glorifying marriage in and of themselves. Both people, both are sinners, and they are equally selfish. Both are self-loving, both are in need of God's grace, but... With God's help and with the power of the Holy Spirit, by the transforming of the power of the Word and the people of God, we can honor and glorify Jesus Christ in our marriages. I love what G.K. Chesterton once said. He said this. He said, I knew of many happy marriages, but I never knew of a compatible one. I think of Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher and theologian in the 18th century, the Great Awakening. Look what he said about his writing about his wife. He said, give my kindest love to my dear wife and tell her that the uncommon union which has so long subsisted between us has been of such a nature as I trust is spiritual and therefore will continue forever. What's Jonathan Edwards saying there? As much as he loved Sarah Edwards, as much as he served his bride, he even recognized that it was an uncommon union for the two of them. That, that only God could do this. Only God could bring two very different people, two equal sinners, together. Because two sinners on their own, they're incompatible. You can take every test you want about your personality. When you bring your sin into a relationship with another person and they add their sin to it, that's incompatible. That won't work apart from Christ. But you know what else is incompatible? A holy God and sinful men. Is that not true? Yet we consider that in God's gospel of grace, just as we looked at it, it is God's work that makes us acceptable in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how then can we follow God's design for marriage and how can we please him with such? How can we glorify God in this marriage? Well, in Genesis 2 that we read earlier in verse 24, I believe once again this one statement on marriage is so foundational So critical, and I think it's so clear that, in fact, God repeats it four times in the Bible. God God repeats it. He says it in Genesis 2, 24, all through the scriptures. He says it here in Genesis 2, and then in Matthew 19, in Mark 10, and then in Ephesians 5. God made this statement one time in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament. 
One time before sin even entered into the world and three times after sin entered into the world. It is the unfading, unfailing, the unambiguous blueprint for all of marriage. Genesis 2, 24. Read it with me if you will. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So what is God's design for marriage? Here's what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman for life that brings God glory. Marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman for life that brings God glory. I broke this down for you and give you three thoughts from Genesis 2. I want to give you time to write that down. But I want to give you three headings here under this idea of Genesis 2.24 to see what is God's ultimate design for marriage. How is it this marriage covenant between one woman and one uh, man for life brings God glory? How does this happen? Well, it's going to happen in three ways. The first is that marriage must be the primary relationship. Did you hear what I said? Marriage must be the primary relationship. Where do I get that? Well, I get that because Proverbs chapter uh, 2, verse 17, actually describes marriage as a covenant. In fact, we talk about marriage as a covenant. We've said it several times already. In Proverbs, it refers to and forgets the covenant of her God. We could also look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, where, where Malachi says, uh, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you've dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage speaks of a man who has a wife by covenant. Marriage, therefore, is an unbreakable commitment, and it is a primary relationship. This means, and and hear this, this means for those of us who are married, for those of you who will get married, for those of you as children, hear the very truth of this. Marriage must be your primary relationship in this life. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is our first and foremost relationship, but earthly speaking, marriage must be the primary relationship. That means we love our children. Yes, we absolutely do. But we must never have a child-centered home. Everyone in the home must know that dad's allegiance is first, foremost, and primary to mom. And mom's primary love and allegiance is to dad because marriage is a covenant. It's a supreme bond. It's an unbreakable bond between one man and one woman. We read in Ephesians that it's the picture of the gospel. There is nothing that could trump the Lord Jesus' love for his people, his bride, the church. So it is to be the primary relationship. But I also want you to note, second of all, that marriage is not just the primary relationship. Marriage must be an exclusive relationship. Marriage must be an exclusive relationship. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One man and one woman. Very exclusive. That means there are to be no side flings. 
No emotional flings, no pornography, no adultery, no side enchantments at work, nor immorality and outings with the guys or girls. Absolutely soul-exclusive, ravishing, satisfying love that is reserved and given only for a spouse. A man leaves father and mother and he joins himself, he superglues himself, cements himself to his wife. They are no longer two, but they are one. That is the gospel, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us. There is such an exclusive, loving, glorious relationship that Jesus Christ has for us, his bride. What a delightful picture of that we have in the gospel. It's an exclusive relationship. It's a primary relationship. But let me bring our third, and this one's always difficult, And forgive me if I offend you with this, but marriage must be a permanent relationship. When when we read in Genesis 2, 24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's permanent. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this week. The parent-child relationship, in one sense, is, is a very temporal relationship. Not that a child ever stops becoming your child at some point, but you raise a child, you raise that daughter, that son, to, to leave the home and to get married. Or if they're called to singleness, to at least be self-sufficient, but, but not so with a husband or wife. That's a permanent relationship. When, when God says in Genesis 2 that the husband and wife are joined themselves one to another, they cling one to another, they cleave to one to another. In the Hebrew, that's a word that really means super glue. They super glue themselves like two pieces of paper glued together. It's as they look like they're one. Right? You take two pieces of metal and weld them together. They are permanently joined. That is what the husband and wife relationship is to be. So for two believers, let me just clarify this statement here, okay? For two believers who are submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the word of God, divorce should not be an option. In fact, I love you, let me tell you this, but if you come to me as a believer who says, I'm submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm submitting to the word of God, then as a pastor, I can promise you something, I'm going to be for your marriage. It may not always be pretty, it may certainly be ugly, but I love you enough because I know that this covenant between one man and one woman in God's eyes is seen as permanent because that's the gospel with us, friends. There's no getting out of this thing. (laughs) Once Christ saves you, it's permanent. When he actually, literally saves you, not, not just your profession, but when he takes an old creature living for self and makes him new living for Christ, that's permanent. It cannot be undone. And if marriage is a picture of the gospel, then it's, it's supposed to be permanent. Between believers, what God joins together, Jesus said it, let no man separate. Say, Cody, why all this? Why do you you have to deal with God's plan, his design, and God's definition of marriage? Well, because we need to understand that God exists in a perfect, eternal, unbroken, lasting covenant within the Godhead, within himself. Just as God exists in this perfect relationship within the Trinity, so marriage is to emulate his relationship. 
Every godly marriage can, by God's grace, strive to emulate this glorious, unrestrained, happy, selfless, and sacrificial love one for another. Friends, let it be said that the gospel is the marriage between God and his people. (laughs) That is the bride, the church. The gospel is the ultimate marriage. Every marriage relationship in this life patterns itself after the ultimate, ultimate spiritual relationship, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself as the bridegroom for his bride, the church. Marriage is about the glory of God. God is involved in all of this to bring himself glory, by the way. In fact, as one biblical counselor said, he said, the gospel and marriage, it's hard to separate the two because in the Bible, the two are inseparably linked. Marriage is a picture of love. Marriage is a picture of service. Marriage is a picture of sacrifice. Marriage is a picture of faithfulness. Marriage is to be a picture of exclusivity. Marriage is to be a picture of permanence. Marriage is to be a picture of sanctification. Marriage is to be a picture of happiness and joy. It's why a good marriage is solidly founded more on commitment than it is ever based on compatibility, feelings, or mere attraction. That's why a reason for you to remain married is because it's God's covenant with your wife. And you're committed to him, therefore you're committed to her. Every marriage relationship patterns itself after the ultimate marriage. We vow, we committed ourselves to our wives when we got married. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who vowed and committed himself to us, his bride and church. Wondrously, marriage is a pointer of the ultimate union that's to come. Our marriages ought to be a reflection. They are designed, in fact, to be a reflection of the great union that every believer will enjoy with the Lord Jesus for all of eternity if you're in Christ. Marriage is an illustrative feature. It is an arrow to something greater. It is a pointer to the ultimate marriage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we've looked at the meaning of marriage under a number of headings so far. The first heading I gave you is God's gospel of grace. Then we transition to a second heading that's God's design of marriage. And God's design of marriage is for it to be the primary relationship, the exclusive uh, relationship, and a permanent relationship. And I want to do now is I want to get very practical with you and give you a third heading as we talk about the meaning of marriage. The third heading is this. God's purpose for marriage. God's purpose for marriage. What does God have for you in marriage? I was reading not too long ago about the subject of marriage. In fact, I recognize I've got more books uh, on the topic of marriage than I have any other subject in my office. And I asked my wife whether that was probably a good thing or maybe um, there's a reason for that. Uh, She didn't answer. Uh, But um, it asked this question in the book. The question was, what is marriage? And the answer struck me so greatly that I want to give it to you. The author said this, what is marriage? Marriage is God's call for you to die. Marriage is God's call for you to die. Yeah. Well, let's think about this. What do you mean, right? Well, let's think about it for a moment. You, in a sense, died when you got married. You lost when you said your vows. What am I talking about here? It's really an opportunity for a bad joke, but I wrote even in my manuscript, don't say a bad joke right here, right? Okay. What am I talking about? 
You died to yourself. You died to yourself. You lost your self-preservation because in marriage you promised that as you're giving your vows at the altar, you said, I will lose myself for this person's gain. I will continually die to myself for this person's benefit. So marriage is really God's call for you to come and die. It's a glorious picture of the gospel, by the way, that in marriage, as a picture of the gospel, we must die to ourselves every day by God's grace, by his help, and by God's enabling of us to serve our spouse. That means something, right? It means your desires are no longer first. Your goals, your ideas... They are dead (laughs) because you're serving your spouse. Your entire vow of marriage is committed to be self-servient to your spouse, to put their needs above their own. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. That's why wives, you are to submit to your husbands. You are constantly to admit that I am dead to my own goals and self, and I submit to whatever my husband's leadership says. And it's why husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. If anybody died to his own selfish desires, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who stepped out of the eternity wonderfulness of heaven and came into the scum place called earth and died for sinners like you and I. It's exactly what it means. It's a continual dying of self for the other person's gain. That's what God has for us in marriage. And the reality is this. In marriage, every day is an opportunity for you to die to self. And in dying to self is when we love our spouses the greatest. In dying to self for the benefit of the other, we are actually loving the greatest. Just remember Ephesians 5, 2, what Apostle Paul says we're called to. To walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up. That is, died for us. What a thought. That marriage is a call to come and die? Friends, if that's the case, then I want to say this statement. I gave it to you to write down. Marriage then is a total commitment and it's a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. I know that's a run-on sentence, uh, but I'll say it again. Marriage then is a total commitment and it's a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. Isn't it that way with the gospel, friends? Isn't that the call of the gospel to come and die? Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Jesus says to do that daily. Come, follow me. It's a total commitment, a total sharing of the total person until death. And that's what Christ does with us. In fact, John 13, 1, we looked at it not too long ago. It struck me as I was studying this as they were entering the upper room. Remember, as Jesus is about to transition from the Passover and, and, and now institute the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, Jesus says in John 13, 1, it says, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Which means... He loved us to the max. Jesus loved his people to the extremities, to the uttermost, to the absolute max that God could love his people. 
There is a total sharing that the Lord Jesus has for his people and us to him as we commit ourselves to him by his enabling grace to follow him and serve him wholeheartedly. I suppose at this point, there really are a couple questions that need to be asked as to those who are married. Let me ask them. Is your marriage marked by one of total commitment? Is your marriage and my marriage marked of one of total commitment and total sharing? Where I hide nothing, where I've got freedom, I have this availability, this access to share my heart with you. That we are no longer two, but we are one. And that same oneness models the gospel of Christ and his people. Friends, when we think about how our marriages demonstrate the gospel, husbands and wives hear this. You who are not married yet, young people, hear this. The way that a husband and a wife serve one another is the picture of the gospel of sacrificial love. You know the, the greatest tool to sharing the gospel with your children? Besides actually sharing the words of the gospel with your children? Is a husband and wife serving one another. Man, I, I, this just burdens my heart because I fail at this daily. But I so wish that, that Lord willing, when, when God opens Addie and Emmett's eyes to the, to the gospel of grace, that when they hear about Jesus and how he served and loved his bride, the church, they see a model of that in Daddy. And not how Daddy serves and loves them, although I want them to see that. They see it first and foremost about how Daddy loves and serves Mommy. That's a picture of the gospel. That's our responsibility, fathers. You want your kids to... I, I cannot tell you how many times people come to me concerned about their children's salvation. And, and I'm looking and thinking through. And, and all the while, what I hear is nothing but, but disrespect and bad-mouthing coming between husbands and wives. Friends, you want your kids to see grace. You want your kids to see the gospel. You love and serve mommy. And get this, you love and serve mommy. You love and serve daddy. When mommy and daddy are being completely and totally unlovable, you still serve and love them. You outserve them to the best of your ability. And just think about this. The day comes when I hear that I am actually in my own unlovable. I am on my own unworthy of salvation. And that the God of the universe has come down to meet me and die for me and serve me. What a connection between the gospel and marriage. Friends, this should burden our hearts to pray that God would ignite this in us. That we would see husband and wife as no burden at all, but a glorious gift of God's grace. Friends, love is a sacrificial giving of oneself to another regardless of how that person responds to that love. Regardless if it's reciprocated. Sacrificial giving is true love and marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Think of the commitment that you have in your marriage to your husband and your wife. It's a picture of the gospel. Think of the intimacy, the satisfaction, the exclusivity that a husband and wife enjoy in the marriage relationship. That's a picture of the gospel. Think of the faithfulness in marriage, the husband to the wife and to the wife to the husband as a picture of the gospel. Think of communication in the marriage, the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband as a picture of the gospel. 
Really, I suppose we could just say that all of this, to summarize marriage and the meaning of marriage, with this statement, earthly marriage is a shadow, but Christ marriage is the substance. Biblical counselor Deepak Reju says this. He says, Unbeknownst to the people of Moses' day, God created human marriage to be a display of the relationship with Christ and his church. That means how you communicate with your spouse, how you care for each other, how you parent together, how you handle the finances, how you run your home together, how you work as a team. All of these things model the relationship of Christ and the church to those who are watching you. And for those of you with children in here, they're watching. By the way, gospel-centered marriages use daily human struggles as well to point to a much greater marriage. I'm not telling you, you are not allowed to struggle in marriage. Friends, marriage, in my opinion, is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And let me tell you why. It's because of this. Because I have to die to self. When, when I got married, I, I think I've said this before in the pulpit, I, two things I, I, I recognized when I got married. Um, I recognized a new type of uh, understanding of my own selfishness. <laughs> I, th- I, like, I knew I was selfish, you know? Like I just generally thought, hey, I'm a selfish guy, I was a bachelor. And then I got married and every decision that ever came across my mind had to be uh, run by or communicated with another human being. And I just thought, man, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this, right? I mean, even simple things like how you load the dishwasher and how you fold a towel that you think is the only way and the right way has to be dead, right? Uh, the simple things in life. So I, I recognized immediately when I got married that I was way more selfish than I even thought I was. And yet on the other hand, I recognized a new type of love that God has for his church. Because I knew that though I was selfish, that this commitment with this woman would be to the end. And that there's nothing, there's nothing by God's grace and his help, there's nothing she could ever do to me that would cause me to not want to have her as my wife. She's it for me. That's it. Friends, that's how it is with with the gospel. Isn't it beautiful that when God changes a human being, when he he makes you into his son, there's nothing. He makes you into his bride. There's nothing that you can do that would cause him to stop loving you. If you're really in him, if you're really united to him, if you're really married to the bridegroom, there's nothing that would ever stop him from wanting you to be his child and his bride. That's a reflection in our marriages. Even when we sin, even when we ask for forgiveness, when we mess up, when we're selfish, what a picture of the gospel. Here's the glory of Christian marriage. This is why, by the way, and there's always, always hope for a struggling marriage. You know why? Because the God of the gospel is the same God over marriage. The miracle-working God of the gospel is the same miracle-working God over a marriage. You've heard the story of that couple, haven't you? The couple that sadly represents just a vast multitude of marriage relationships in our day where maybe one of the spouses may say, I just, I just can't love you anymore. 
I just can't fake it anymore. I've fallen out of love with you. I don't feel for you what I once felt for you. I can't do this anymore. Friends, we need to speak and preach to our own souls these words of truth from the book Meaning of Marriage by the author Tim Keller. Godly man, great words. Let me just close with this quote. I'm going to close with these things. This is what he says. He says, well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't look at you and think, I'm giving myself to you because you're so attractive to me. No. He was in agony. And he looked down at us, denying him, abandoning him, rebelling against him, and betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed upon the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved us not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely to him. That's why I'm going to love my spouse. Friends, speak to your heart like that and then fulfill the promises you made on your wedding day. My, my sole prayer for us is that our marriages in this community would reflect the gospel of lavish grace with God's help by his powerful and sufficient word. Amen. Would you stand and let's join together our hearts in prayer. Lord, thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you for the beauty of the marriage institution. Thank you, O oh God, that you are the God of grace, that even when we sin, even when we fall so far short, O oh God, your grace is enough to wash the foulest sinners clean. O oh, grace that is greater than all of our sin. Father, would you help us, O oh God, that the marriage is that are represented here in this congregation would be gospel-picturing marriages for the glory of God Almighty. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.